What's up? Welcome to the Inner City Innovators Podcast with Ricky Aiken, where we will discuss marginalized communities and what it will take to bring true and lasting hope and transformation to the disadvantaged. Now, here's your host and hope dealer, Ricky Aiken. CEO KO now. I changed my Instagram name to CEO.KAYO. We're going to keep it like that forever. I like that. We back. We back. You definitely got the CEO mindset, so you're on the way. Yeah, man. What's good today, Ricky? What we got? I'm good, man. I'm happy to be here. Uh, I'm happy to be jumping. Anytime I get to sit here with you, man, Mm -hmm. and and open up topics that are relevant to our community, it's the best thing um, in the world for me. But before we jump in, I want to take a moment. To acknowledge, wait, let's get some, our very, very first sponsor of the ICI podcast, the Inner City Innovators podcast, and that sponsor is Oahu Kavabar. Give them a round of applause. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah. Thank you guys for your sponsorship. It means a lot to the podcast, helps us grow, helps us spread the message. Um, it's going to definitely pay that for it. So yeah. thank you. And uh, I got a personal connection to Kava. Uh, many people would not know this, but I came up with the entire concept of inner city innovators sitting in the uh, Kava bar. It was called T-Mana. It's before Oahu became Oahu. It was called T-Mana, and it was on Clematis. Got you. And I used to walk by, and I used to be curious, like, what is this place? What is mm-hmm. this place? It was open all times at night. It was like a Starbucks-type environment where you could walk in and yeah. set your laptop up, and that's what I would do. And uh, I made some great connections. Uh, one of the owners is a good friend, uh, mm-hmm. Emily Edmonds, who married one of my homeboys from the hood. And, uh, oh, she owns that place. Yeah, yeah, yeah she's yeah, a that's part dope. owner. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, they've been consistent supporters. So, man, they're the first sponsor um, of this podcast. And if you're out there and you want to sp- sponsor an episode, it's one twenty-five. You want to sponsor a whole month, it's four hundred dollars. So we're looking for sponsors, but I just want to honor them for being the first to partner with us in this beautiful journey. Definitely. And to find out about that, you can go to www.innercityinnovators.com to find out how you can sponsor an episode or how you can join and become a hope dealer. Um, That's .org. 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 Let me me correct that. Good, good. .org. Um, But without further ado, we about to jump into our highlights, challenges, and state of being. I'm going to start this thing off. Today, my highlight is going to be, let's see, I got a lot of stuff going this week. So I want to say definitely having the amount of feedback that we got from the release of the first episode, bro. Um, yeah, yeah, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Um, just the way everybody was was so reactive and receptive to that, um, the response, the responses we got, yeah. the way they was pushing it all around, it was just great. I was loving the feedback, so that's definitely a highlight for me today. Nice. Uh, yeah, bro, this going to be huge. Um, a challenge, I would say I ain't feeling no challenges right now. I ain't feeling no negativity. 
That's I ain't feeling no, you know, I'm feeling great, man. My state of being is definitely up. I'm up right now. We in February. It's Black History Month. Um, so I'm walking around wearing this melanin loud and proud. You know yeah. what I mean? So, yeah. yeah, bro, I'm here. I'm for the culture right now. State of being uh -huh. is for the culture. What about you, bro? How you doing? Oh, man, <laughs> I'm doing great. If I was to um, describe my highlight, mm -hmm. it's, it's the craziest thing. And I'm going to lose a lot of respect for acknowledging this. But last night... I went to the beach and I did a silent disco to mm -hmm. watch the f before the full moon. Mm -hmm. And it's crazy because you got to dance. You know, you, yeah. this, you ever <laughs> be at the beach and you see these crazy people with headphones on dancing, but you ain't got no headphones, so they just look crazy. I was one of those crazy people, bro. And uh, it's a highlight because I hate dancing. I never learned. It's never been my thing. But getting to kind of like let myself go, I feel like I overcame the same kind of fear people have of public speaking or right. doing certain things. I kind of overcame that fear in physical movement, and I feel proud of myself for stepping outside my boundary. For sure. For sure, bro. <laughs> um, that's yeah. dope. My challenge, uh, what is my challenge? My challenge is I don't really feel any challenges right now. I see challenges as opportunities today. That's my perspective. Um, we'll see how long I can keep that perspective. 1,000. No challenge. And my state of being is I'm, I'm feeling clear. I'm feeling calm. I'm feeling focused. And I'm feeling good. I love it, man. I love it. I love it. Um, and that's always great for us to connect on some high energy, man. Raise the frequency. You yeah. know what I'm saying? That's what we need. But um, today we'll talk about something interesting, y'all. We're going to talk about crime pays. All right. We're going to get into the business of crime. We're going to go over a few different things that we feel are relevant um, for our youth, for our, our adults, for our elders, just for everybody to kind of wrap their mind around, have a little paradigm shift um, in regards to. Um, so I just want to start by saying um, way back when, man, when Ronald Reagan took office in this country, um, something happened to our community that was very detrimental, bro. Yeah. Um, something known as the war on drugs was launched against us, man. And um, we had problems in our community before this. But yeah. once this, this I want to call it an agenda, I'll, I'll say that, yeah. um, was, was unfolded within our, within our communities, man, and the poverty and the plague and the murder and the crime and the injustice that came yeah. behind it, all of the fathers we lost, yeah. um, you know, that's neither here nor there. What I was getting at, though, is as a result of these things, the 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 lawmaking policies, the way that the books were written, the way that the yeah. system was set up going forward for us to lose has absolutely shredded us, man. So yeah. I want to go into that a little bit, man. So just yeah. let, let's get a general perspective on how you're feeling about this, about absolutely. the crime in our neighborhoods and how you feel it plays a part in, in keeping us absolutely. where we are. I think it's a it's a major part. Like if you're a young black man growing up in a community of concentrated disadvantage, you can't help but have your eyes open to the the impact of the war on drugs. You look at the response to the opioid crisis, and it's seen as a public health crisis. The same right. way that crack should have been viewed, where instead of criminalizing our community or penalizing our community as much as you did, we should have had more of a public health approach then, but that wasn't the approach. And so I think that kind of leads itself to like our perspective, meaning 
black people who are descendants of slaves in this country, it's, it's different from other people's perspective, and it leads to a lot of our mindsets and our approaches to a lot of things. So I want to start this conversation by asking you this question, because I believe it kind of encapsulates everything we'll discuss as a result. What, when, when was the first time you became aware of crime and prison? Uh, that's a great question. Um, <clears throat> I actually had both of those experiences at two different times in my life, which is cool. Um, my first experience with crime, <clears throat> I was actually a child, man. My dad was riding around with me and my brother in the car. He got pulled over. Um, and How old were you? I was about four years old. I'll mm-hmm. never forget. And when he got pulled over, the officer came up to the window and pulled him straight out of the window, yo, like straight out of the window. Yeah. Um, I found out later in life, you know, a couple of things, so we're not going to go into all that, but that was right. my first experience with crime and what crime looked like or what it looked like to be a quote-unquote criminal. What did you feel in that moment as a child watching your dad get yanked out of the car for at that age you don't know why right and the right adults probably didn't feel like they had to tell you but what did you feel viscerally in that moment right i felt fear man yeah. i felt fear and my dad was pulled over for driving on a um a suspended license plate yeah yeah he just didn't have the money to fix it yeah uh, he was on his way to work to try and do that but you know this unf- he was deemed a criminal for this Mm-hmm. absolute misfortune so that was my first running with what we could say crime yeah i was definitely in fear for my life at that point we cried it was terrible man that yeah. put fear in my heart of police officers for a long time to come um and you my, said you had another um time as well what was that second time with prison my first running with prison when i was about six or seven years old my mother um had married another individual um, separate from my father. Yeah. He actually ended up um, getting incarcerated, and we used to go and visit him with my mom yeah. down at the Bell Glade Correctional Facility. At the young age of six and seven, I was already yeah. being checked into prison, yeah. experiencing intake, experiencing what it's like, eating commissary food. This was an every weekend thing, so yeah. it was already kind of you know ratified in me early yeah. that that's what it was going to be, man. And what did, like, what were your, like, how do you think those experiences formed your thought about law and justice in this country? I kind of thought at, at that young age, I was kind of led to think it was, it was a little normal for us to have yeah. injustice. It was a little normal for us to be on the other side of the law, yeah. just paying attention. Okay, I'm this young, I'm here. All I see is black men. I, I, you know, this is all I see. Yeah. They look like my dad. They look like my stepdad. We all look the same. So I'm thinking as a child, this must be normal to some extent because I don't I don't know anything else. So this is what I'm yeah. I'm grabbing my information from. So, yeah, it, 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 it develops a sense of normalcy almost, you yeah, know? Absolutely. Like the slave mind <laughs> almost kind of. Yeah, and we're going to get into that. I remember um, my first experiences were kind of uh, benign. Like, I remember my grandma would always write letters to one of our cousins. His name was Monkey. He was in prison. He had, like, 20 years or something like that. And she was always writing letters. And I'd be, look, what you doing? I'm writing, writing mm-hmm. Monkey. And then uh, we get the phone calls, and the phone calls would be from the prison. And then you'd have to tell her if the it was that. And um, But there was a time that really shook me. And at that time, I think I was about 10 years old. And I'm playing in the park and, you know, having a good time with my friends. And then it's like chaos ensued. You hear gunshots. 
people are running around, you know, I go in the house and then once all the confusion slows down, people rush into my grandma's house because that's who I lived with. And they're saying the police are looking for my brother at the mm-hmm. time, one of my older brothers. And um, I remember like being taken aback, like that's my big brother. Like, well, what do you mean they're looking for him? And um, long story short, he ended up getting into it with a guy from the neighborhood, um, shot the guy, um, and then the cops were called, and then they knew exactly who it was, and they were looking for him. But that was, like, my first, like, the police are looking for somebody. Right, right. And then a few years later, say, with my oldest brother, he was um, he was a, a dealer in the area, and then when the feds came in looking for him, doors getting crashed, helicopters, like, all that. Right. And, um the most impactful part of these experiences were the letters they write home. Like they would write home letters to like share their experiences, especially my brother um, who went to prison when he was 15 for shooting someone. Like he would really tell me us what prison was like. You know, he was either always in the box for fighting um, the food, the conditions. Like I really felt like the letters that my older brothers wrote home the reason I didn't want to go to prison and like to to speak to what you said like the way I was oriented to it prison wasn't this negative thing Mm -hmm. it was actually uh the perception on it at the time was it was just a run of the mill if you're from these community from this community you're probably gonna go to prison once or twice right yeah and then when people come home from prison you throw a party for them, welcome them back to the community. And so you as a kid, I'm watching my brothers come home from prison. You seeing the respect that they get. It's almost like they went and did a military um, tour. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? With the level right. of respect. So you're not really growing up with this mentality like prison is bad or miserable because a lot of times coming from where we come from, the conditions in prison are probably more secure than the conditions at home. Right. 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 So there's all this kind of that's that's interesting you say that, man, because it's like we and we was on two different ends of the fence. It's like you say, you getting this from from a different end. You just you reading letters, you hearing yeah. phone calls and you getting this from a different end of the spectrum. And then me, <clears throat> little old me, I'm actually here yeah. on the grounds behind yeah. the barb and wire. And I'm thinking like, yeah, like you said, this is just something we got to go through in our communities right. just to get by. So that's interesting you say that. So. Let's let's talk a little bit about the facts because we spoke about the war on drugs, right? Yeah. And it's like, okay, we, we don't want to stop there. We want to get a little deeper, right? Yeah. These drugs enter the community. What happens? Gangs become created to move the drugs. Yeah. When the gangs become created, turf wars start. Yeah. When turf wars start, then violence starts to control the turf and take over turf, right? right? So then what does this lead to? This leads to us and our communities where these wars and these you know, these agendas were funded against our people. Right. This leads to us taking the national pinnacle when it comes to murder, yeah. when it comes to robbery, yeah. when it comes to all sorts of violent crime, domestic disputes. Right. That makes us have to take the forefront because we live in these drug-infested communities yeah. where these drugs are sold, where these drugs are used, where right. people kill. Literally everything going on in our community comes back to the dope. Yeah, yeah. And you gotta, we can even take it back further, right? When you when you look at like why people commit crimes like drug dealing, robbery, or they're willing to kill over a certain piece of property or for respect, you can all trace it back to a lack of resources. 
one of my favorite words to use to describe the situation is community of concentrated disadvantage. When you're living in a community where you don't have good job prospects, like, you know, we started with the war on drugs, but you could go back go to some of yep. the, the decisions made to combat, like, you go back to the Welfare Act where single parenting was subsidized and the family was wow. penalized, you wow. know, where if you were a single mom, you could apply for public housing, you can get food stamps and all these supports. And if the dad was in the picture, you, you couldn't have those benefits. Wow. I remember growing up and the housing authority would come to the apartment to do inspection and my grandma's boyfriend would have to hide. Hey, hey, he would have to get up, pack his shit, and get <laughs> out, or we would get caught having a man in the house. Hey. Think about that, bro. <laughs> Where it was a penalty to have a man in the house. Yo, I remember those, those were policy days. decisions made, bro, that led to that. And then the war on drugs, which exasperated the issues. It's like, bro, like that. That's that's baffles me. Bro, I said go deeper, and that's exactly what you just did, yo. Like, um, it's just, and that's exactly what I mean. It's just by design, man. Like, we've been stripped and, and blinded of what we really could be, right. what we really could do, and who we really are as a people. So then we get led down this road of opportunities that are given to us. Um, yeah. We're not even creating our own opportunities. You know, right. our kids want to be killers. You know what I'm saying? They want to be slangers right. and rappers. And it's like, what? Where do these things come from, man? Like I said, right. we are the statistics. We we are the, at the height of all the statistics in this right. country, yeah. and like, bro, how does that make you feel, bro? Just yeah. to know, like, sixteen, these kids are so young, yeah, and so immature. We could say, yeah, lacking of guidance, lacking of yeah. real mentorship, lacking of real stewardship as a man, integrity, dignity. They don't yeah. even know anything yet, but then they going out here. They make they making these decisions yeah. and then they you know what I'm saying they they crying home to mommy when the judge is looking at them as a yeah. man so bro give them some insight to that the way like, I look at it like there there are really only a few ways to look at it right like and as a black man I have to face this face to face I can't look at the statistics and deny them like and just to read off some of the statistics and. I read them in um, one of these books. I got a little collection of books here. Like one of my favorite things to do when I'm not working is educate myself on uh, the issues affecting people like me because I've dedicated, we've dedicated our life to confronting these issues head on and creating better pathways that lead to better outcomes for young men who come from where I come from. But I was reading this book on African-American offending, right? Uh, because you, the reason black people who are from this country commit crime is different from any other group. But when you look at most uh, criminological textbooks, it's like, oh, people commit crime because of environment or breakdown in the family or this or that. And it negates of our history, our unique history in this country that leads us to rebel against the system that we all know was never built for us. So when we talk about why the, the offense rate amongst African-Americans is so high, I contend it is a direct result of our racial legacy in this country and the trauma inflicted upon us by these very systems which police us and create laws to keep us in line. But to get back to the stats, right? Black men are only 6% of the U.S. population, yet they are arrested for over 50% of the 
of robberies and homicides. That's 6% of the population accounting for 50% of all robberies and homicides. Black women, 7% of the population arrested for 40% of homicides committed by men. And I feel like the worst of all, and that which is most relevant to our work, is black youth, consisting of 16% of the youth population aged 10 through 17, and they account for 52% of juvenile violent crime, 33% of property crime index arrests, and check this, 58% of youth-related arrests for homicides and 67% of arrests for robberies. We are disproportionately overrepresented. All over the board, No bro. matter which metric <laughs> you use to, All to, over to, the board, to identify it, we're overrepresented. And it's, 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 it's a direct result of the impact of trauma. Because basically, you're asking, right, if you had a friend of yours, a, a girl or your sister, right. that was dating a guy that put his hands on her. Mm -hmm. I mean, he whips her ass. Right. And she came to you telling you what this guy is doing. There's no way you would tell your sister to forgive that guy, right. go back into his arms and support him. Yet that's what we expect black people who are descendants of our ancestors who are terrorized in this country to do. Mm -hmm. So Turn I'm not saying, right, right. Eventually we have to do it right. because we won't, we can't survive unless we learn the rules of engagement and we engage the system but to those people who look and they and they lack the kind of empathy needed that's going to really help us to get where we need to go they'll never understand it so when you look at these like when you when you look at like a lot of people would look and they think it points to something if it points to anything it points to the fact that you can't just do to people what was done to black people in this country and expect things to be well as right. a result so that's how I feel about it. How about you? Wow, bro. And you're such a great, you know, I, I, that's why you're such an amazing public speaker, bro. And this really brings something out of you. Yeah. It, it started bringing the fire out of you, you know what I'm saying, for real. And it's, I love it, bro. Bro, it's our people we talking about. It's bro. our people, I think of man. you. When I think of youth, bro, I think of you. I think of the young men I work with. I think of what could have happened to me, bro. And I think, like, this is the civil rights issue of our time, bro. Like, people out here playing. But this, a lot of the statistics you just gave, especially the statistic about the the black youth, right? So coming from a youth program where I was, yeah. I actually got to live that out to see, like, yeah, if I'm looking at the program in retrospect as a whole, right, and right. I'm breaking down, okay, we had two sides of the program. We had a behavioral health side, and then we had a side for uh, drug abuse and violent crimes, right? Mm -hmm. So I was on the drug abuse and violent crime side. Um, and that's basically with the hard stones. And just like we said, just like um, the statistics said, I'm looking around and like, yeah, if I see, if I say, okay, let's take all the robbery charges in the facility, right? Right. And let's take each kid that's responsible for this robbery charge. Right. Let's do the percentage and let's break down the ratio of how many of them are black to right. how many of them are any other race. Right. I guarantee you're going to come out. 
So even higher than 47 and 50, sometimes yeah. 75, 80%, yep. 90% of them are black. Because yep. that's how it is in the institutions as exactly. well. Some of these institutions are not 75, 80% black male incarcerated institutions. So it comes back, like you said, to a lack of resources in the home. And I wanted to say that to parents to hit on the, the, the header about what we spoke about with juveniles. Yep. We got to do something better with the kids. Yep. Um, and I don't know what it is, bro, because yep. growing up in my home, yeah, there were, we went without things. There were things we could have had, things that could have made life easier. But I didn't, I wouldn't say I had a, a real reason within my home right. to go out and do some of the things that I did to land right. me in some of the places I ended up. Right. The community as a whole yeah. and the misguidance outside the, the door. Right. You know, my house was good, but as soon as I step outside the door, that's gone. Exactly. You know? And you raise an important point. And, you know, it's so easy to look at what's happening and we blame the system and the system deserves that blame. But there is also some accountability that's at our feet as a community. Our homes are broken. Our communities are broken. And right now, if you want to be honest about the, the prison system, like more black men are under correctional control, meaning prison oversight or judicial oversight in this country today than ever was enslaved in the 1800s. Yep. So if you want to talk about slavery, we're probably more enslaved than we now ever than we ever were. So I see, and and even like to use the slave slavery as an analogy, right? We know that when the Europeans came to Africa, they didn't go inland to to retrieve the slaves. They made deal with slave brokers, right. tribes that had enslaved people and sold them to them. And I would say that if prison today is a modern day slavery. I would say anyone that sits idly as our young people continue to go down the same cycles of self-destruction that we did, people who promote cultures mm -hmm. and lifestyles that contribute to our young people making self-destructive patterns of living that would end them up in prison or dead, they are the modern-day black tribesmen enslaving their own people and selling them to a system that will destroy their future and their earning ability in the future. And that was that was straight heat, man. Like, I absolutely agree with that. If you're going to stand by and not be, not be a martyr, not be the change you want to see, not be the change you want to be, um, then you're just a bigger part of the problem. Right. You know what I'm saying? If you walk outside your door and you see something and you know you could be a fighting force to fix this, but you do nothing, that makes you a coward. Yep. In my eyes, in Ricky's eyes, yep. and anybody else that deals with us, that makes you a coward because we stand up, people. Yep. We accept the challenge. We accept the fight. We stand right on the front line. We give it exactly what we got. Whether we win, lose, or draw, it's not even about that. We just came to give it all we got for yep. you guys, man. So we gave y'all the problem. Yep. You know, we went through a ton of problems. What's the solution? Let me, let me go in on that a little more because you, you, like, you hit it on the head, right? We're past the point of people remaining on the sidelines and putting their hands up like, I don't know nothing and I can't. We're past that, bro. I don't care what you believe religiously or spiritually. This, what we're doing now, this thinking, this living, this breathing, this is all life is. And I feel like we all have a part to play in improving 
everyone's experience, not just black people. Once we solve our problems, we got to serve the, solve the immigration issues. We got like the world hunger issues. So, right. But so like we, we, it's, it's time to get in the game because we can't afford to remain idle and to go to what I feel the solution is. I think it's tied to that. I think it's time for, and there's many solutions, right? I believe that each system that had a part to play in how we get here has a part to play getting us out of here. I always say we didn't create the conditions that define life in our communities. We inherited it. But here we are trying to change it. And because we didn't create it, we're not going to be able to fix it alone, right? The institutions, the, the, the people who benefited from systems which seen our community in these ways, everybody has a part to play. So I think first and foremost, it starts with us. I always say real change happens when the people who need it lead it. Right. If you've been to prison, if you've committed felonies, if you've done things you're not proud of, you're the ideal candidate to be speaking into the lives of our youth. Most people look at the things negative that they've gone through and they think it disqualifies them from saying anything. Nah, bro, that's the source of your power, and you need to use it or we're going to keep losing. You feel me? So as far as our community is concerned, like how comfortable or what level of responsibility are you comfortable laying at their feet? Um, For right now, <clears throat> I just want the community, you know, I'm, I'm going to put the responsibility on the community to um, rebuild the community. <clears throat> I was speaking about this with a couple of gentlemen at the Rock the Block event. Um, when you go across that bridge, right? When you go across there, you don't see trash on the floor. Right. You don't see graffiti on the wall. Right. You don't see abandoned, uh, boarded up cribs or none right. of that, right? So when we talk about what, I, what responsibility I'm going to place on the community right now, it's to heal the community, yeah. you know, like... If we gonna, we need a vision first. If we gonna fix something, we gotta see what is it that we fixing, right? right? So we got people out here. We like let's let's uplift our community. Let's fix it. Let's bring change. But then they walk out the door and it's still dirty. It's yeah. still torn down and run down, and yeah. it just doesn't provide a vision. So yeah, yeah we got abandoned houses. Let's get let's get the dope dealers together. Y'all put five ten thousand dollars together a piece and let's buy up these abandoned properties yeah. and let's create affordable housing for yeah. people in our community, single mothers. Whatever the case may be, in our community, let's start becoming right. our own bank. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? And and you alluded to something important: the healing, right? You can't, we can't heal our community until we first heal ourselves. And so the parents, like how you talk that that hard parenting or that passive parenting, letting kids do whatever they want, or that being super engaged when they're young and then when they're getting older, at that age of 13, that's when they need you the most. So I think from parenting, if you don't got kids, your role modelship and the words you use, right. we all have a part to play. When you see something, say something. Pick up the trash. Like, if I don't care if you don't own the community yet. You still live there. Take, take pride in any place that you're going to call your home. So and now looking. I wanted to add to that real quick. Two things. Um, ignorance, man. This is going this is gonna be a great solution. Ignorance, just to add to what you just said. Number one, the things we you know, the things we don't know, let's get educated about this stuff. These statistics about how crime pays, about how police officers need a job to do. Who gives them the job to do? 
-hmm. you know so let's start educating on ourselves on all of these things and understanding how the prison system is for profit how they use us for cheap and effect effective labor which is virtually slavery right you know so let's get let's understand how when we go to prison we literally signing our rights and our life away and our intellectual property as a being as an right. entity to a system that was not set up for us to win in the first right. place right <clears throat> At this point, I feel like the most, like, we, we, we are opposed to the system and all it's done to us. But I think there's no better way to, to dismantle or to show our disdain for that system than to keep out of prison. That's like, stop feet and, like, break down these pathways that are leading our youth to prison. Like, I'm tired of seeing people with this shirt, oh, free my dog this, free my dog that. Yeah, that and that, we that, could wear it's that, cool. That ignorance, kids bro. think it's, like, the cool ignorance, to get bro. charges and come back. Like, we've created that culture as a community. I also want to speak to outsiders, the people who feel like they don't have to care about what happens in communities of color because it's not their community, Right. Whatever you allow to happen in our community will eventually bleed into yours. It will. The opioid right? crisis has proven that. Exactly, exactly. My, I, I ain't got to say no more, right? So, and then I feel like, for, especially for those people who are gung-ho Americans, like who are proud to be Americans, I believe there's nothing that should be more offensive to American citizens than the fact that we are in 2023 and race relations are what they are. That's nothing to be proud of. Right. You want to be proud of something? Do the work to produce a country and a citizenry that's worth being proud of. We're not there by sweeping hard conversations that need to be had under the rug so that you can feel good about yourself. Yep. It's time to confront and have hard conversations. And if you need someone to have them with, you can have them with me. Yep. I don't get offended by ignorance. I believe that if you really are ignorant and you really are seeking the truth, your ignorance shall not be penalized. Willful ignorance should be pen penalized. Once you know the truth and you still decide to go on in error, that's a different thing. But I penalize no man for being ignorant. No man whatsoever. So I'm calling on people who are outside of our communities who want, because safety is an issue for all. You know, you got people that are moving. Florida's a hot spot right now, right? But you see what happens in Chicago, people downtown in the shopping district and shootouts happen there. Right. You don't think that can happen here? And then, it does, bro. Then, like the the, the 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 downtown district of Clematis, Banyan, that's that's still a fairly right. dangerous area to be, right. despite the fact that it's got a high um, wealth capital over there. It's right. still a high crime rate area. Exactly. West Palm Beach is still a very dangerous city, nonetheless. Right. And that area is actually the most dangerous yep. area. Or if you're sending your kids to schools where there could be suspected gang members and things, just because they're in school doesn't mean things don't pop off. You're sending your kid to a school that's in danger when you go out to dinner. So these things can touch anybody at any time. And Thanks. I would say when you're looking at the news and you see gun violence happening in communities of concentrated violence, here's a way you can say that you're doing something about it or you're a part of the fight by becoming a monthly donor to inner city innovators. 
then when you see something that's happening, you're not someone that's just talking about the issue. You're putting your money where your mouth is. Another way, right? Mentorship. Coming in and asking, Rick, here's a skill set I got. I love to download it into one of your young men or teach them what I've learned through my life. To That's another way. There are ample ways that you can use your privilege and the opportunities you afforded to help build a more holistic community for everyone, for everyone. In agreement, bro, and step up. Just, you know, just just to finish that, man, step up. Um, a lot of people too concerned with what everybody else thinks, both in our community and outside of our community. Yeah. The ones outside of our community don't want to help because you got you don't want to feel like the peers. Oh, why? You know, the ones in our community, you don't want to feel like a snitch or the yeah. police or yep. whatever y'all call yourselves for stepping up and doing something real. Right. You know what I'm saying? Y'all out here playing red pill, blue pill, running the rat race with each other around the block. Right. You know what I'm saying? It just don't make sense to me anymore. So step up. If you see something, say something. And I'm not saying if you see a shooting, go and tell the cops. I'm saying if you see a little kid that's headed down the wrong path, you see a 10-year-old a, a kid walking down the street smoking that black and mild, smoking that joint, I'm going to need you to step up and be an elder in the community and let's yep. combat this issue. Yep. You know, if yep. we see kids fighting in the park, don't ride by in your car. I need you to step up, yep. be a man, be a woman, be a leader, and let's try and combat and, you know, Let's try and put some resolve and some remedy on these issues and show these kids exactly. that someone cares. Because I, I can vividly remember, bro, anytime an adult pulled up and we was fighting as kids, everybody would disperse immediately. Because yeah. we that's just the respect we have in our communities. Yeah. So we just got to apply it. We got to really put it down. So step up, bro. Who cares what anybody else thinks, man? Do it for you. Step up, you know? Exactly. So when we think about, we're going to talk about a lot, a lot of different things and mass incarceration and how we are oriented to prison and the justice system. We discussed that and the solution that we see today is to see the game for what it is. Right. If we know that our communities are designed to, to see us end up in prison, it's time for us as a people to organize and create an underground railroad for our youth. And yes. that's what we're calling for. So I don't care who you are, where you stand, we got room at the table for everyone. My vision for people who buy and wear these Hope Dealer shirts, innercityinnovators.org, is that anytime a young man from my community who's at risk to perpetrate or be victimized by gun violence or is participating in things that might see him in, in, ju in the juvenile justice system, I want him to know whenever he sees an adult rather white, black, Hispanic, I don't care what. He sees that adult, he can walk up to that adult and ask for support to get his life on track. That's why I want to flood our city. I want to flood our county. I want to flood our state. I want to flood our country with hope dealers because hope dealers are the only way forward. Once we transform the hearts of the people, we can dismantle the system, but it starts with us. Real change happens. And the people who need it, lead it. Never forget that. So donate, sponsor an episode. Like we said, everything goes back into this podcast, goes back into this movement, back into the inner city innovators, back into the hope dealers, and just back into our youth, back into our generation, back into the now, the then, and the future. So, you know, we thank y'all for tuning in with us again, Ricky. You got anything else you want to give them? 
Peace.